Welcome to Your Personal Power Pod, a podcast about aligning yourself with the life you want. And here are your hosts, Sandy Abel and Shannon Young. Shannon, how are you today? Hey, Sandy, what's going on? Life is good. We just finished Halloween and we had seven (laughs) trick-or-treaters. To be exact. (laughs) Now we have a giant bowl of candy that we have to eat. Darn. Excellent. Self-control. You'll be practicing self-control. Indeed. So what's going on with you? I am very much enjoying this very, very soggy day we are having. It suddenly feels like fall. We haven't had fall until today. (laughs) And now it is here. (laughs) We had a beautiful summer. It was wonderful. And now we're getting good rain. And boy, that's a good thing. And we're getting snow in the mountains. It's just like it's supposed to be. It's wonderful. Oh, good. So I'm really very pleased that we are choosing to discuss what we're talking about today. What are we talking about today? (laughs) We're talking about really interesting things. It's like, where do you fit? A lot of that is determined by your birth order, which creates your personality and your family roles also helps create your personality. And we're all born into some kind of family. It might have been a family with two parents or one parent or some other kind of situation. But when you're a baby, obviously there are adults who have to take care of you and that creates some kind of family. What's important is where you fit in the family. Are you the only child? Are there four others ahead of you? That kind of thing. Research has shown really makes a difference in your personality and in how you see the world and how you fit into the world. It's important for all of us to just be aware of where we came from, where we fit when we were little, and how that impacts us as adults. And it, along with other things like genetics, gender, parenting styles, sort of shapes you as you grow. And it doesn't mean that you can't change as you get older and start looking at who you are and why you are the way you are. But it does kind of give you a baseline to kind of figure out where you came from and why you're on the path you are. Exactly. There are some typical roles and typical behaviors that Mm -hmm. people exhibit depending on their birth order. Like the firstborn child is often a high achiever, perfectionist, really responsible, goal setter, determined, rule keeper, detail person. Bossy. (laughs) Yeah, bossy. (laughs) Wants to be in charge. Uh, That's the firstborn child. Mm -hmm. The second or the middle kids are oftentimes the peacemakers. They tend to be good at negotiating. They're a little bit more willing to go with the flow than maybe those firstborn kids were, but they often wind up seeking attention and may have more friends than the firstborn kids do just to compensate for having to share family attention. Yeah. So they often tend to be peacemakers. They may be a little bit more diplomatic than their older siblings. They tend to be flexible out of necessity. They can be free spirits, very generous people, but often very competitive as well. Right, because they have an older sibling who's probably trying to run the show. Right. So they get in there and do that. And then the youngest child is often outgoing, really charming, fun, cute. Everybody loves them. They're more risk takers. Mm -hmm. They're persistent. They're creative and are idea people. They challenge authority because they're used to being the baby of the family and the one that everybody sort of caters to and likes. It's interesting. This seems to match pretty well the stories you've told me about your childhood with your younger sibling. You're the oldest. 
Yes, there are two of us, two girls, Mm -hmm. and I'm two years older than she is. As I've said before, you know, my life was wonderful. I was the star of the show for two years. (laughs) And, (laughs) And then she came along. I was used to running things and having my parents do what I wanted and all that. And suddenly there's this little baby that they had to take care of. And I was more on my own. I didn't like that a lot. And then she grew up to be cute and fun and everybody loved her. It was a pain in the neck, you know, (laughs) it didn't work for me. But when I learned about the birth orders thing, it's like, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. So what about you? Well, as you know, since we're yours, (laughs) (laughs) I am one of two as well, and I am the oldest. When I look at these roles, I think it's really interesting because I think we kind of share some of these characteristics. I also think my brother didn't necessarily need us. (laughs) Yes, right. He was very self-contained. Yeah, I think I very definitely needed the family structure and he very definitely needed to be fed and housed until he could leave. (laughs) 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 And so a lot of this just didn't really feel like it applies. Like it kind of felt like he was biding his time until he was old enough to go out on his own. Not out of any kind of disrespect, just that he was sort of born insular and was like, thanks for being my cocoon until I could go do my own thing, whereas I very much identified with being part of the family. Yeah. And I think he did on some level, but he was much more independent as a lot of younger children are. They just know that they're fine and they go do their thing. Anyway, it's just very interesting how your birth order can impact who you become as an adult. And the role you continue to play in relationships, I would think. Exactly. Yeah. I have a good friend who is an only child. It's interesting. He did all the parts. Yes. (laughs) He was independent and strong and also sort of a troublemaker Charming and fun. You know, he did it all. (laughs) Challenging authority. But then going on, you know, getting lots of college degrees and becoming a successful professional. And that's a big burden to have to do it all. He did it well. Now that you mention it, my husband's daughter is very much like that. Mm -hmm. She plays all the roles. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So those family roles, they can be really great and healthy and supportive, or they can be incredibly dysfunctional. And I think on some level, all families have a little bit of dysfunction just because we're all people. Exactly. But there's definitely some families that are healthier than others. Yes, right. And if you're fortunate enough to have a family where there are healthy parents. If you have two parents, it's great because then they back each other up and they're supportive of each other and one person doesn't have to do it all. Mm -hmm. Although single parent families can also be really great, but it's an extra burden on the adult. Yeah, The roles of the parents, they are supposed to be in charge. They're supposed to make sure everybody does what they're supposed to do. Their job is to teach children how to be reliable and responsible and thoughtful and considerate and kind and do their share. And there's a huge expectation on the parent-adult role in a family. Both children and adults, parents, you can be the caregiver, you can be empathetic, understanding. You have to be supportive. If there's two parents, you'd be supportive of each other. You'd be the cheerleader, which means you back up if your kids try to do something or if your partner tries to do something. You support that. You are there for them. And they know that whether they win or lose, you love them and you're there for them and that they're fine. Mm -hmm. One of the other roles can be the person in the group who tells the truth, who sees what's going on. 
My stepdaughter is very much like this because she has been raised in a variety of households with her other parent, her grandmother, and the two of us. She has an uncanny ability to see exactly what the dynamics are and to call people out. It's frustrating because she's often right, and that's hard. (laughs) But it's also a really necessary role, and she can provide all of us with incredible insight. And that's been really helpful in our growth as a family. Right. And it's also wonderful for her because as she moves on and creates her own family, she'll be able to step back and see what is really going on. Mm -hmm. And she learned that by being in kind of a dysfunctional situation. Yeah, very much so. But she got a lot of positive out of that. That's a great example of how you can take something that could be negative and turn it into a positive. Mm -hmm. Healthy family systems are characterized, whether it's a romantic partnership of adults or just siblings or the entire family unit, there's a lot of respect Romantic partners see each other as equals. When there are children involved, the authority figures, the people who hold the most power, are nurturing, they set boundaries, and they are also flexible because they kind of have to be. Yeah, right. Um, They also foster emotional and physical development by creating a home environment that's safe for everybody to be in. Right. And hopefully it's the adults who are doing that. In some families, there's a child who has to do that, who has to Mm -hmm. step up and take care if the family's really dysfunctional and the parent is, is a single family home and the parent is drug or alcohol addicted or whatever. Often an older child will step up and fill that role. And that's a huge challenge. And creates problems down the road with other relationships. Yes, right. So what are some of the other characteristics that we might expect to find in healthy families? In healthy families, everyone's basic needs are met. They have food, clothing, shelter, love. Mm -hmm. Physical safety is huge. You have to have physical safety. And if a family is healthy, that's what you have. The parents are in charge. And the kids understand that parents are in charge and parents make the decisions and that the kids get to follow them. The parents also nurture the child, make sure that their social, emotional, physical, and educational needs are all met. And they're empathetic and loving and supportive. That's the ideal, wonderful family. I think a lot of people come from that kind of family. They may not appreciate it at the time. They may not like the fact that their parents are making decisions and telling them that at the age of 12, you can't stay out till two in the morning with your boyfriend. Really, they're doing you a favor and teaching you to be responsible and take care of yourself. It's just interesting how families function. It is interesting. And I think you're talking about boundaries and setting boundaries for your kids and guardrails, you know, what some parents call them. We have a teenager in our life and that's been really interesting figuring out where the boundaries are because on the one hand, she doesn't want rules in her life. She wants to be free to do what she wants to do. But on the other hand, she's still a kid and kids want boundaries. Right. I have known teenagers in my past who didn't have them and they were admired by the rest of the kids who were like, oh, you're allowed (laughs) to do whatever you want and go wherever you want, do all the things that the rest of us aren't allowed to do. But those kids are a little unhinged because they know on some level that those boundaries actually are love. Right, exactly. And if they don't have them, yeah, maybe they have a whole lot of fun, but they also don't have the kind of love and support and protection that the rest of us had. So that is so true. That can be a challenge when you grow up. That is so true. I always remember back when I uh, had a counseling therapy practice, there was a 15-year-old in my office crying, saying, nobody cares. I wish somebody would tell me to come home. 
I wish somebody would ask where I'm going. Nobody cares. That's heartbreaking. And it was just really hard. She was struggling because on one hand, like you said, she had freedom to go do anything she wanted to do. But what she wanted was somebody to care enough about her to say, you be home at 11 Mm o'clock or it's a school night. You're not going out past nine and then enforce that. And she had nothing. Nobody cared. That is so sad. It was just heartbreaking. And there are so many kids who don't have adults. They don't have the functional, healthy family backing them up. And it's harder to learn how to be a reliable, responsible adult. You know, it's really harder to learn to love yourself if -hmm. you don't feel that other people love you. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think she was struggling with the whole self-esteem issue because she figured, well, I'm not worth their thought or concern, so I must not be worth anything. We did work on that, and she did learn that she was an amazing young woman. It's so hard if you don't come from a functional family. And if you don't come from a place where you are okay addressing that neglect and working your way through it, then you're Mm -hmm. just destined to repeat it with your own kids. And then you start getting generational trauma. Ooh, good term. Buzzword. (laughs) And you're right. This kind of thing can be passed down in families until somebody takes a step back and says, wait a minute, this wasn't fun for me. I don't want to do it to my kids. I need to learn how to do it differently. Mm -hmm. And then find out how to effectively parent in a way that didn't happen for you. And I think part of healing is learning how to become that parent for yourself. Yes. We've talked about your inner child and that little person is with you all the time. And if that person is broken and you don't address it, then a part of you just stays broken. So you kind of have to learn to give yourself what you didn't get when you were little and heal. Right. And if you don't, then we wind up with dysfunctional family roles. (laughs) Yes, we do. And there are many of those. Yeah. Let's hit on a few of them. Okay. Well, there's the caretaker who is otherwise known as the enabler, who is the person who tries to resolve the issues of others without offering them a chance to resolve it themselves. They just want to make everything better all the time and they do what they can and they sort of try to take over. Mm -hmm. And in some families, there's the identified person who is the problem and everybody focuses on, oh, this person has the issue. So we all have to focus on taking care of this person. And then there's the lost child who sort of stays out of the way and blends into the background just to keep themselves emotionally and physically safe. Yeah. If you've got a volatile family, you just back away and hide as much as you can. And then there's the scapegoat. Some families, you know, this is the one that everybody blames for all the problems. And so this is different from the earlier person you mentioned. You said the one person that everybody said they need to help. How are they different, the scapegoat and the patient? The scapegoat, their job in the family is to distract everybody. Oh, So they get out. in trouble a lot. They act okay. out. They get in trouble a lot. Whenever the parents start to argue, the kid will go throw something at their brother and shift it so that they take the brunt of it so that the family can function and the parents aren't yelling at each other. And then nobody has to deal with anything. Right. Yeah. They just yell at the kid and... It's a difficult role to have, but there are a lot of families where somebody is that person who is supposed to be the troublemaker. 
And they identify as that because their role was to shift the focus from whatever negative is going on to them and their negativity. So, And that can create huge problems down the line if you just continue to identify that way without understanding that you do. Yeah. You learn that the way to get attention or deal with problems is to create a bigger problem somewhere else that can really snowball. And that's not a good thing. Yeah. Then there's the person who's kind of the comedic relief, the mascot. (laughs) Right. They try to smooth everything over with humor Mm -hmm. and that allows everybody to avoid dealing with those serious issues underlying the dynamic. Right. And that's often the, the youngest child. Mm. will do that. They're the one that's supposed to be cute and fun and their job is to distract people in a positive way instead of the scapegoat who distracts people in a negative way. And then there's the hero. They're the ones that are supposed to make the family look good. They're the ones that get the straight A's or our class president. They go out in the world and everybody thinks their family is wonderful, even though they go home and it's a mess. They're the representative. They are the representative. Yeah. Some of these roles, including like the hero, are roles that aren't necessarily just played in dysfunctional families. They can be played in all families, and there are quite a few named roles that pop up within healthy families and dysfunctional families alike, and it just kind of helps you figure out where you got the seeds of your personality and if you need to change them, maybe how to evolve into a different role within the family that you build for yourself when you get older, or just, you know, if you want to understand where you are and how you came from a little bit better, looking at your role that you played when you were little can help you figure that out. And rather than rattle through all of them, we will put them on the website. So if you're interested in reading more about those roles, you can check it out at yourpersonalpowerpod.com. Yes, absolutely. And what's interesting is that I'll bet if you read the list, you will find yourself somewhere in there. And the important thing to know with all of this is that When you were a child, you learned how to fit into whatever your family structure was. As an adult, you might still be playing those roles or doing whatever you did then to feel like you need to fit. Your situation may be very different. You're very different because you're an adult now, you're not a child. You have the power to make your own decisions and your own choices. You don't have other people making those for you. And the important thing is to understand where you came from, how it impacted the adult you are today, and know that you always have the power to change that initial conditioning if it's not allowing you to live the life you want. It's all about personal power. Indeed. Wrap us up. We're all born into some kind of family, some kind of parent figure and children or child. Mm -hmm. And the structure of and people in that family play a big part of forming your personality. Your birth order can play a part in creating who you are. Both the adults and the children in a family have roles they play, and the roles each person plays influence the adult you become. Your birth order and family role can be a positive or negative influence on who you are as an adult. Once you're clear on how all this influenced you as a child, you can choose to change the parts that don't work for you now and Remember that you always have the power to be the person you want to be. From one firstborn child to another, thank you. (laughs) 
Thank you, Shan. <laughs> we really want to hear from you, whether it's your stories about how self-esteem and personal power affect your life, or if you want to suggest topics that you'd like us to address in future episodes, please do. And we would love for you to review our podcast. It's really helpful for us. You can do so wherever you stream, or you can just talk to us directly by visiting yourpersonalpowerpod.com, clicking contact and dropping us an email. We want to let you know we're now on Instagram. You can find us at yourpersonalpowerpod. And if you want to learn how coaching can change your life, it is remarkable, I promise you. Contact Sandy at sandy at insidejobscoach.com. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, find your power and change your life. <laughs>